Let's get our Bibles open to Luke chapter 12. We're actually also going to back up a little bit into Luke chapter 11. We're going verse by verse through the gospel of Luke. It was written from a medical doctor to a prominent man named Theophilus. And Luke is trying to help this man understand who Jesus is and what Jesus said. Last week, we started a new series entitled Out of the Crowd into the Kingdom. And Luke's showing us that Jesus was surrounded by crowds of people, and yet Jesus was not interested in building a large number in the crowd. Jesus was interested in people stepping out of the crowd into the kingdom. And that's our challenge as well. Jesus is calling us out of the crowd into the kingdom. And we're going to see what happens when God's kingdom clashes with the kingdom of religion. Do you know what happens when the kingdom of God clashes with the kingdom of religion? It exposes all of the hypocrites. How many of you have ever met a hypocrite? Anybody ever been burned by a hypocrite? Anybody allergic to hypocrites? And yet you think that you're not one? Um, that's the problem with hypocrites. We rarely think of ourselves as the ones guilty of hypocrisy. Well, Jesus wants to expose that in this room, in our hearts right now. Let's begin reading in Luke chapter 12, verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, that's a tragedy, uh, large crowd of people around Jesus so much that they're trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Jesus is concerned about this bacteria called hypocrisy. Isn't that what Leaven is, leaven is synonymous with our word yeast. Some of you are getting out your recipes in anticipation of Thanksgiving. And how many of you have an incredible yeast roll recipe? Anybody? Anybody? I'm coming to your house. I'm coming to your house. I love me a good yeast roll. And it only takes a little bit, right? And uh, that stuff grows. It spreads. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to say to his disciples beware of how hypocrisy spreads. And he uses the example of these Pharisees. Now, uh, a Pharisee, you have to understand, was... Um, he would, Pharisees were kind of like a political party back in the day. They, they were very committed to, to the word of God. They were very committed to the first five books of the Bible. They were like hypersensitive to the commands of God. How many commands did God give back in Exodus 10? Well, they found a way to find... 613, and so they, they added to the number and they added their traditions. And if you really wanted to be a godly person, you had to do it exactly the way the Pharisees prescribed. They were the spiritual police. And if you stepped out of line, you got arrested. You got pulled over and you got condemned by this self-appointed 
group of Pharisees. And Jesus had an interaction with these Pharisees back up in chapter 11. Let me show you what started this whole conversation about hypocrisy. Verse 37 says, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him so that he went in and reclined at table. And the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. How many of you parents have a rule before the kids come to the table to eat dinner, they must wash their hands? How many of you, that's a rule in your home? It's a matter of personal hygiene, right? Well, good news, if you're a kid living in that home, if you want to be like Jesus... Don't wash your hands. All the parents are like, wait, 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 whoa, whoa, contradiction here. What? What? Now, see, the the thing is, is, is that's actually very good personal hygiene to wash your hands, but it is not something that makes you personally holy. And Jesus was drawing the distinction. Um, And the, the problem with hypocrisy is, it's always more, concern, more concerned with the dirt on the outside than the filth on the inside. That's what hypocrites are concerned with. The image on the outside rather than the condition of the heart on the inside. What is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy simply means to create a public impression that is at odds with one's real person, purposes, or motivations. It means to be a play actor. It means to pretend. It means to to put on an outward show. Hypocrisy is the opposite of authenticity. When Jesus uses the word hypocrisy in chapter 12, verse 3, he's actually borrowing a word from the current vernacular. Now, we see the word hypocrisy, and it immediately um, speaks a negative tone to us. But the word hypocrite, hypocrisy, was not necessarily a negative tone. It's, It's a word that's borrowed from the Greek theater. Back in the day, I don't know if the Greeks were on a budget, but they could only afford like one actor, and he would come out and do the whole drama, the whole stage performance by himself. He would play all the different parts himself. And in order to help him do that, he would use a mask. How many of you have ever gone to the theater and you've seen the image of uh, kind of the universal symbol of thespianism or, or theater or these two masks? Have you seen those before? Have you ever wondered why those are always in the theater? It's pointing back to Greek theater. And in the Greek theater, they didn't give the Oscar to the best supporting actor, they gave the Oscar to the best supporting hypocrite. Because that's what the word means. A hypocrite is one who makes you believe he's something that he's not. And they would wear a mask. Scott, come up here for a second. And uh, this is my friend Scott. And uh, Scott is one of the most authentic people that I know. And yet, uh, he has something with it. Just go ahead and put that on. Yes. Yes. Now, what is Scott in this moment? Answer? How many of you think he's a gorilla? Really? Re- you, you are some of the most easily convinced people I know. 
Scott might want you to think he's a gorilla. Scott is not a gorilla. What is Scott right now in this moment? He's not a gorilla. Scott is a hypocrite. Because a hypocrite is one who wears a mask. And so many hypocrites are terrified of the mask being pulled off. Thank you, Scott. You can go sit down. And uh, it, you can take that mask off too if you want. So what we need to understand today is Jesus wants us to pull off the mask. And do you know who's most prone to hypocrisy? It's those who are most involved in religious activity. Those who are the most religious are those who are the most prone to hypocrisy. And if you have a position of power, if you have a position of influence, you are prone to hypocrisy as well. So pastors, prone to hypocrisy. Parents, prone to hypocrisy. Presidents, prone to hypocrisy. Um, business owners, coaches, trainers, dietitians, all prone to hypocrisy because what do we all do? We're all trying to motivate you to do something that sometimes we don't always do. And so the world levels this charge at those of us who preach. And those of us that preach the gospel, you're a hypocrite. But those of you that preach nutrition, had a Krispy Kreme donut, you hypocrite. You know, those of you that, that are trying to, you know, be, be you know, in, in good physical condition. When's the last time you were at the gym? You hypocrite, right? So we've got to be careful that we are not preaching something that we are not practicing. When we do, we get accused of being a hypocrite. And those that are most involved in religious activity are prone to be hypocrites. The, the Pharisees knew the Bible. They knew the Bible better than anyone. They were immersed in Bible. But the Pharisees used the Bible as a club rather than a scalpel. Do you know the difference between a club and a scalpel, both cause pain, but one hurts and one heals. Have you been following the drama of my finger? Did, did, did I tell you about my finger? All right, so, so I, I told you this in church a, a couple of weeks ago, I was using the illustration of when one member hurts, we all hurt, right? So uh, about a couple of months ago, I went to Oklahoma, I was cleaning off the patio of my mother and in a rush, I came back in the house, somehow I slammed the door into my finger. And oh, it hurt, hurt so bad, hurt for a couple of days. But then you know what? It felt better. And after a while, the nail turned black, but it, it, it wasn't swollen, it didn't hurt at all. It just looked weird. That's why I needed to explain what happened, right? Guess what I did two weeks ago? Somehow, I slammed the same finger in the car door. That's what I said. <laughs> And I mean, this time it hurt 10 times worse than it hurt the first time. And I mean, the thing started swelling up. It looked like an ET finger coming at you, man. It was, <laughs> it was bad and it was, I mean, it was purple and black and it wasn't leaking, but there was stuff underneath it and it was so painful. I finally went to the doctor and he said, I can help with that. We need to remove the fingernail. 
I said, isn't that a form of torture in some places in the world? He said, yes, but I, I, this, he said, I have a little spatula. A spatula? And I'm going to drive it under the nail and pop it up and then take, aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Isn't that great? And I'm going to take pliers. I'm just going to pull that out. And I mean, when he did, I mean, it just went everywhere and this stuff leaking. But I'm telling you, 20, 24 hours later, I'm a happy man. The pain was gone and it's healing up. And it's, so listen, a preacher can either use the word of God as a car door, come to church every week, bam. It's like, it's already hurt. Just, just stick it in there again, bam, right? Or a preacher can use God's word as a spatula <laughs> to bring healing to something that's infected, all right? So I tell you that story because this is, this is what's gonna happen in the next 30 minutes. It, it's, it's gonna be a little painful here for, for a few minutes, but if you will respond correctly, it's going to bring healing to an infected part of your life. And trust me, um, you only have to hear this sermon once. I get to hear it four times every week. And this is something that, that has exposed me. And I, I've had to do some examination. It's been painful to me. But understand, Jesus wants to bring healing to the infection of hypocrisy in our lives. This is so much a matter. We need to understand that those that love the word of God the most can be the most prone to hypocrisy. Those that talk about being made for more, we're hypocrites if we live for less. If we, at the end of every service, say you are love, we can hide behind the mask of that statement if we're not loving and gracious and kind and tender to one another. We can hide behind the mask of saying we're living sent if all we do is talk about the unreached peoples of the world and yet never cross a street, never enter into a conversation with somebody. Those of, those of us that love the pillars of our church, we can hide behind those pillars, proclaiming the authority of the word of God without apology, but we, do we obey it? Lifting high the name of Jesus in worship, but are we giving our worship to the idols of this world and bowing down? We believe firmly in the power of prayer, but do we pray or do we just rely upon the best of our creativity and our ingenuity and our strategy and our marketing practices? Those of us that say we, we, we share the word of God, we share the gospel as an unafraid witness and yet all we do when we're with our friends is talk about the weather in Notre Dame football? Are we hypocrites? Those that talk the most about the word of God are most prone to hypocrisy and we need to address it. This is so true that as a staff, your pastoral staff, we know that we are the ones that are the most prone. So do you know what we've done? We have baked into our core values as a pastoral staff antidotes to hypocrisy. Our very first core value, every Tuesday we get together as a staff and we rehearse these and we challenge each other. Our very first core value, we authenticate the message that we preach. We don't just preach the message. We're called to authenticate it with the way that we live, the way that we love, the way that we engage. So if we're gonna preach a message on giving, 
we must give first. We've got to believe this message is for us first. We preach the gospel to ourselves first. And when we repent, when we, when, when we sin, we repent and return to the gospel because nobody needs the gospel more than us. That's the core value of your pastoral staff. And we're still going to do a battle with hypocrisy, but we're going to hit it head on. We're not going to cling to the mask. We're not going to pretend we're something that we're not. We are needy of all people because we are the ones that handle the word of God the most. So we're going to try to diagnose some hypocrisy in this room. All right. It's going to hurt a little. Trust me. Just going to use a little spatula here. It's going to be fine. And we're going we're to get through this. Here's my question to you. First of all, do I mask my internal condition with external performance? Do I mask my internal condition with external performance. Again, Jesus is speaking with these Pharisees. They've invited him over for dinner. They want to be close to Jesus. They want to be known as friends of Jesus. And yet in verse 39, Jesus confronts their hypocrisy. They're upset at him because he didn't wash his hands. He's upset at them because they wouldn't wash their hearts. Verse 39, the Lord said to them, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, Do, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? You want to cure it? Give alms. Alms is another word for offerings. Give offerings, give as offerings those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. You know what he's saying? The offering that God wants is your heart. And if God gets your heart, he'll get all that external stuff too. But it's a matter of the heart. But see, hypocrites play games with what's on the outside. They hide what's on the inside by doing things on the outside. Hypocrites pretend to be clean when they're actually stained. Let me ask you a question. Are you more concerned with having a hair out of place when you come to church or that your heart is out of place? What did you spend more time on this morning? What did you do with your extra hour this morning? Did you spend more time getting ready on the outside than you did getting ready on the inside? Jesus says, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup, but you never pay attention to what's on the inside. Jesus was not concerned about the germs on their hands. He was concerned about the stain in their heart. I don't know about you, a little secret, little little uh, survival technique for me. I love to shake hands with all of you after every service, as many as I can. But then, you know, the first thing I do is I go find a bottle of Purell. And I disinfect myself from whatever you gave me because I shake a lot of hands, right? And, and, but listen, don't you wish it was as easy as just squirting something on your hands and that made you clean before God? Don't you wish that it was as easy as just going through the water of the baptism and somehow the water could wash away all the, the greed and the guilt and the shame and that it's, no, it's, it, you've got to go deeper. You've got to go beyond the surface. But Pharisees hold on to their hypocrisy. They, they're wearing a mask. Number two, do I hide behind, do I hide my lack of love for God and others behind calculated religious duty? Verse 42, 
But woe to you Pharisees. That's an interesting word, isn't it? Woe, woe, woe is me. You know what that word means? It's actually a heart cry of sympathy towards someone who is in deep danger. The word actually means horrible, terrible, disastrous. Jesus was saying the outcome of your hypocrisy is going to be disastrous for you. Your future is terrible if you don't turn from your hypocrisy. He says, woe to you Pharisees. You tithe mint and rue and every herb. Did you do that? Have you ever gone through your spice rack and like taken the salt shaker? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That one belongs to God. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That one belongs to God. You ever done that? That's what these guys did. Um, I don't really know what rue is. It's some type of herb or spice or something. I do know what mint is. We have a mint bush in our backyard and I tied this morning. So I'm going to put me putting this in the offering because I want to make sure that 10% of everything, like grass clippings, leaves, you know, that come off the yard, that I'm going to make sure I'm going to bring all those to God. And the Pharisees literally thought they were godly because of that. And Jesus, notice, he doesn't rebuke them for tithing. He doesn't say you shouldn't do that. Notice what he says. He says, you neglect justice and the love of God. How do you measure the amount of justice and the amount of love of God that you give? You give justice to others. You give love to God. You give love to others. That's immeasurable. You can't count that. I wish it was as easy as this. It's not that easy. He says, these you ought to have done. The tithing, great, super. You should give without neglecting the weightier matters of the heart, it's much harder to show love toward unlovable people than it is to give a grass clipping to Jesus. And so the, the, the first one doesn't involve the heart, the second one does. If, if you're gonna do what God wants, you have to go beyond just simply calculated religious duty. It's not just serving, it's not just volunteering, it's not just showing up, it's not just about your time, it's not just about your money, it's about your heart. Number three, does my prominence with men disguise my lack of peace with God? Look at verse 43. He says, woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. I... What are the best seats in here? I know what the best seats are. I used to think, well, you know, like if you were going to a football game or a baseball game, you'd want the front row. If you're going to a concert, you want the front row, right? But I've recognized these are not the best seats. The best seats in church, everybody knows this. If you're new to church, you know this already. The best seats are the ones on the aisles, right? I'm looking at some of you that got here early and claimed that seat. And the ushers have asked you to move over, and you're like, no, I got here first. And then you have to walk around, right? <laughs> See, and you, you come, and somebody's claiming your seat. It's like, oh, I got to sit in the middle today, you know? The reason why the seats on the aisles are the, the best seats is because they're the safest. Because if it gets really uncomfortable in here, you can escape, right? Without making a big scene. I, I know how it operates. I know, I know. Now, listen, the best seats in the synagogues were not the ones on the aisle. The best seats in the synagogue were the ones that were the most visible, 
because the Pharisees wanted to make sure their perfect attendance record got noted. I showed up today. All these other people sleeping in, you know, the weather gets bad. I'm here. And they think that somehow because they moved their body physically into a building, that somehow that got noted as extra credit with God. And what they, um, what they wanted was the praise of men. They wanted to claim, they wanted to be prominent. And not only when they were in church, but when they were out in the marketplace. Listen, if you have any kind of title at all, do you have a title? you are prone to hypocrisy because you can think the title gives you a standing before God simply because you have a standing before men. That's how insidious hypocrisy is. And just being in church, going through the motions of church, being in a place where God's word's being preached or people are worshiping does not get you standing before God. A.W. Tozer says this, baptism, confirmation, receiving the sacraments, church membership. These mean nothing unless the supreme act of God in regeneration also takes place. Religious externals may have a meaning for the God-inhabited soul. For many others, they are not only useless, but may actually become snares, deceiving them into a false and perilous sense of security. Do you know how meaningful baptism is? Incredibly meaningful. Also incredibly deceitful. If you haven't been regenerated from the heart. Do you know how important church attendance is? Incredibly important. But also deceiving if your heart has not been regenerated. Do you know how important communion and taking the Lord's Supper is? Incredibly important but also deceiving if you've not been regenerated from the heart. And so don't let these things deceiving, deceive you. Just because you are in church, in a building, in a place where these things are happening, if it hasn't penetrated the surface, you're a hypocrite and you need a heart change. Number four, am I afraid of others finding out about my spiritual condition? Am I afraid of others finding out about my spiritual condition? Verse 44, woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. For a Jew to come in contact with a dead body or even to walk too close to a grave made him ceremonially unclean. That means he couldn't go to the place of worship until he was cleansed. And yet Jesus is comparing these Pharisees because of their hypocrisy as, as the walking dead. They are zombies. They're scary and they're infectious. They're, they're poisonous. And everybody that comes in contact with them are becoming unclean. And, and it says they, they're like unmarked graves. In other words, they should be warning people how dangerous they are. And yet they don't tell anybody. They keep the mask on, they pretend to be alive, and yet they're dead. That's what hypocrites do. Hypocrites never admit the true condition of their heart. Hypocrites never present 
their weakness or their need. Hypocrites only present their strengths. Hypocrites never admit that they are incompetent to handle the daily pressures of life, of ministry, of leadership. That's why people in positions of leadership are prone to hypocrisy because we feel like we always have to present our strength. We always have to look the best. We always have to model the behavior for everybody else even though we don't want to behave that way. And we always have to present the right image. We have to have the perfect family. We have to present ourselves as like having the perfect marriage. This is a temptation for Andrew and I because, you know, we're privileged. We get to lead these family life weekend to remember marriage getaways, you know, and thousands of people show up to hear Andrew and I tell them how to do marriage. And if we're not careful, we could actually present like our family every weekend at our home is a weekend to remember. Just filled with love and sensitivity and compassion and romance. And, and man, you should see our performances as parents. All the children ride in line and they come and just give us gracious love and, and, and honor and bow down and serve in every way. And, and I just want to take the mask off. Uh-uh. It's not like that. I mean, there, Andrea has to look at me and say, I don't like you. Don't like the way you talk to me. I don't like your tone. And I look back at her. It's like, well, if you were a little tougher, you could receive stronger speech, you know. And, and it's like, and the best conversations take place at Cracker Barrel because you can't get too heated at Cracker Barrel. They throw you out, you know, because people are watching and stuff. So we did that on Friday. So anyway, I'm just, I'm just taking the mask off, okay? I just want you to know we don't have it all together. And neither do you. And so we've got to take the mask off. Don't be afraid. That's why small groups are so important because in here you can pretend, you can pass in and out and just never get confronted. But in your small group, you eyeball to eyeball. It's like, yeah, I really can't hide about that, can I? So how can I pray for you? Well, no, I'm good. No, you're lying. You're a hypocrite. What's going on? You know, how can we pray for you? So this is why it's so important. Number five, do my legalistic demands of others cover my own disobedience. Verse 45, one of the lawyers answered him. Now notice, this is a different group. We got the Pharisees, now we got a different group, the lawyers. These were the scribes, kind of different political party, had a different twist and a bent and different traditions. And the lawyers answered him and said, teacher, in saying these things to the Pharisees, you insult us also. And Jesus said, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to be offensive. I didn't realize I was coming across like a club. I was just trying to be a spatula. No, that's, is that what your Bible says? That's not what my Bible says. I was just trying to make sure you're paying attention. Verse 46, and Jesus said, woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. That word burdens there, it's the word for cargo, like a ship would carry cargo. These heavy burdens, rules, and principles to condemn and produce guilt and shame because you could never measure up. That's what hypocrites do, right? Hypocrites are inconsistent in how they apply the truth. Hypocrites view everybody else through a microscope while they view themselves, they won't even look in the mirror. They have higher standards for everybody else than they have for themselves. And, and what's worse, the worst thing about hypocrites is 
They elevate their personal preferences to the place of biblical absolutes. And then they condemn and shame people for not practicing their personal preferences. Things like the way you dress, the music you listen to, what kind of school you send your kids to, how you parent your kids, what holidays you practice and don't practice, what you do with food, and whether you eat gluten or whether you spend time in the gym or what Bible translation you use or how you spend your money, all these things. Listen, the, the Bible speaks to, to many of those things, but not all. And so often we, we create these codes of conduct and if you don't fit through that very narrow gate, you're excluded. So my question is, are you quick to find fault in others while you excuse your own behavior? Do you withhold grace from others, but you love to say, well, give me grace? Are you quick to require more of others than God actually requires? That's what hypocrites do. Number six. Do I sit through the preaching of God's word unmoved while thinking of so many others who need to repent? Some of you are loving this message and you're praying for your husband or your wife or your children or your parents or your pastor to get this. You're taking meticulous notes because you're going to go call a family meeting tonight with the family and say, look, y'all need to shit straighten up around here. That, that's what a hypocrite does. And I want you to notice that's what these hypocrites did. Look at verse 47. It's interesting. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. Jesus is referring back to the way the Old Testament prophets who were bold and courageous to confront them and their sin. Do you know what, you know what the most religious, legalistic people did with those prophets? They eliminated them because they didn't want to receive rebuke. They didn't want to take off the mask. And now these Pharisees, you know what these guys actually did? They loved to build monuments and... Uh, and, and tombs and decorate and honor the Old Testament prophets that spoke truth, even though their fathers killed them. So be careful when you're in a building project it, that, that you're not a hypocrite. And notice verse 48, so you are witnesses and you consent to their deeds of your fathers for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. Now Jesus is pointing forward to some other prophets and some other apostles. Interesting word. It's used here in the gospel. It is pointing forward to some of the, the preachers and the apostles that are going to write the New Testament. And then in verse 50, it says, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel. Remember Abel? He was the first one killed in the Bible. First murder, first one murdered in the, in, in the Old Testament. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, he was the last one recorded murdered in the Old Testament. So from A to Z, 
who perish between the altar and the sanctuary where, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Do you know what he's saying? Jesus is saying the message of those prophets that you killed is the same message of this prophet that's speaking to you right now. Those Old Testament prophets were pointing to this prophet, Jesus. It's the same message. And you didn't receive them, that's why you're not receiving me, even though you pretend like you honor those prophets. And ultimately, Jesus is saying, it's not their blood that matters, it's mine. And if somehow we can sit through a service thinking somebody else is more responsible for the shed blood of Jesus than I am, you miss the point. If somehow you have forgotten that you are responsible for the murder of Jesus by your sin, when you're thinking about some other sinner that has sinned in some grievous way that somehow brought pain to Jesus, you've missed the point. There is no one more responsible for the death of Jesus than me. And Jesus is looking at those guys like, you're responsible for their death and you're gonna be responsible for mine. It's going to be required of you at the judgment. If you don't repent, if you don't turn from your hypocrisy, and if you don't listen to the wisdom of God. Here's the last question. Have I made entrance into the kingdom of God more difficult than it actually is? Verse 52. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge and you did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. What's the key of knowledge? Simple, it's the gospel. It's the whole message of scripture. It's the message of the prophets, it's the message of Jesus, it's the message of God. It's the fact that there is a kingdom that you are shut out from. You are either in the kingdom or out of the kingdom. There's only one way into the kingdom. It's through Jesus. What's the key that unlocks the door into the kingdom? It's the gospel. It's the fact that we're all sinners. We're all hypocrites. We all need to come and throw ourselves on the mercy of God. And what Jesus did on that cross was for every hypocrite who will come and simply admit, I haven't practiced what I've preached. Isn't this paradoxical? The only way to cure hypocrisy is to admit you're a hypocrite. People say, oh, all those hypocrites down there at the church. Here's the paradox. You can't be a member of this church unless you're willing to admit you're a hypocrite. Only hypocrites allowed. We're all recovering hypocrites. We're just the ones that have taken off the mask and is like, yeah, that's me. It's like there's a little Pharisee in there and Jesus is talking to me. I'm not concerned about all these other hypocrites out there. It's, it's me. I'm the one. Jesus, you've got to do a work of grace in my own heart. That's what the world wants us to do. What's the, what's, what are the cures? What, what do you do with hypocrisy? If we're all hypocrites, there's only three options. Here's, here's option number one. If you don't want to be a hypocrite, you don't ever want to be accused of being a hypocrite. Option one, stop preaching. Just don't ever claim anything to be true. Don't, don't ever try to persuade someone. Don't ever try to help someone. Don't ever try to motivate someone to change their behavior. If you do that and just say there is no truth, it's all relative, live and let live, you won't ever get accused of being a hypocrite because you'll never say anything that is transcendent. You'll never say anything that's true, that's given by God. 
all for option one? No, can't do that because there is truth. God has spoken and he's given us a message. It's in the scripture and it's our responsibility to distribute. So option number two, start practicing what you preach. All in favor of practicing what you preach. Is that a good option? Yes, that's a good option. All you have to do to avoid being a hypocrite is perfectly practice everything you have ever preached. Is that still a good option? How many of you think you got a chance of doing that like in the next 10 minutes? All right, so if we're not perfectly going to be able to practice everything we preach, what's the only other option? Stop pretending that you can perfectly practice everything you preach and come to Jesus who was the only one who ever practiced everything he preached and say, I'm with him and his life, his practice is now become my substitute for all the times that I haven't practiced what I've preached. Isn't it ironic? The moment you admit your hypocrisy, you move out of the crowd of hypocrisy into the kingdom of authenticity. And you just continue to come and you continue to gain grace and you continue to take off the mask. But we have to stop pretending to be something other than what we are, are not. I want us to stand together, heads bowed, eyes closed. Don't get distracted. Before we leave here today and just a simple prayer to the Lord, would you ask the Lord to show you where you're wearing a mask? Jesus said there is nothing that's covered. Do you, do you get it? Do you get what he's saying? There's nothing that, that's covered that's not going to be made known. There's nothing that's hidden that's not gonna be revealed. Everything that's spoken in secret is going to be heard in the light. What is he saying? He's saying one day, He's gonna rip off the mask. At the judgment, who you really are will be known. Wouldn't it be better for you to rip off the mask now than for God to rip off the mask in judgment? Would you humble yourself and say, Lord, I, I'm tired of pointing my finger at all the hypocrites in my life. It's me. I haven't practiced what I've preached. Lord, we come to you humble, broken. There's residual Pharisees that live inside of each one of us. It's a poison, it's, it's a bacteria that grows. It infects me, it infects my family. God, would you, would you peel back the layer? Would you bring healing? Thank you for your word that exposes us. I pray that you'd make us a gracious people that are just simply walking in your grace. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.